What's so, up, man? Not much. <laughs> it's been so a while. Get right into it. Yeah. It's been yeah. a while since we've uh, been on the mics here, but um, had a fun month or so building out our new website, going to NextConf, doing all sorts of stuff. So uh, Thanksgiving week here, got some family coming in, but figured we would hop on and talk about what we've been working on. So yeah. Um, you were just telling me a fun story. Yeah. It would before, be a good way to start. Before we get into this. Uh, <laughs> I was reading this post on Hacker News. Pretty cool, like, debugging story here. So uh guy buys a vacation for his family online. Pretty expensive vacation. And after he buys it, he gets a call from his bank. And the bank says, you know, it's your fraud department. You just spent a lot of money on this website. We just want to verify it's you. And he says, yep, it's me. They say, okay, just one more thing. Uh, we notice you have TeamViewer installed on your computer. Uh, for those of you that don't know, TeamViewer is like this remote desktop application. And it's used by a lot of like scammers because if you install it on your computer and a scammer has like the access code to access your TeamViewer instance, they basically get root on your computer. And they can. Uh, so it'd be like them having like screen control privilege in like a uh, tuple or yeah, something. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, it'd gotcha. be like if, if anyone could just open up your tuple, like TeamViewer. They Viewer can do like, whatever they want. Exactly. It's like a remote desktop application. Yeah. It, has, it has. They still have to know your password if like they got prompted or something like there's that. There's like a TeamViewer API key or something yeah, like that yeah, that yeah. gives you. But the scammer is like. They're on your computer acting like you. Acting like you. Yeah. So uh, this bank fraud department is basically uh, hyper alert right now because this guy just spent a lot of money. And he has TeamViewer on his computer. Okay. And by, by the way, TeamViewer has a lot of legitimate use cases. Yeah. Like, uh, so the guy says, oh, no, I need TeamViewer for work. I work in IT. Uh-huh. And I often have to help people, like, debug their computers, uh-huh. part of my job. And uh, the bank says, okay, no problem. Hang up. Transaction goes through. And then, like, a few hours later, the guy's like, wait a minute. I bought the vacation on a website. How the hell did the bank know that I had TeamViewer installed on my yeah. computer? And so there, there's a way. How do they know? Um, crazy. So I, I had to read the comments. Because they're only not... getting a charge a request from like whatever, myspecialvacation.com. Well, the, 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 right. That's the only, that's the only information the bank had about the charge was like the charge request from, right. okay, myvacation.com wants to charge you $3,000. Sure, sure. But like if you were to use like Stripe, Stripe is going to install JavaScript on your checkout form and that Stripe JavaScript is going to do a bunch of fraud checks. So it's fair to say that like the bank knows what's, what the, what's in the web browser. Uh huh. But like the bank can't see the files on his computer. The web browser is like completely yeah, yeah, sandbox, yeah. Okay, got safe you. security yep, environment. Yep, and the yep. fact that like the fraud department can say, hey, we noticed you yeah. have this program on your computer. Right. So like it's fair to say that the the bank through through like you know whatever the payment processor is somehow got information that that heightened the chance of fraud i see so, so expensive purchase and team viewer yeah so how did they d- discover team viewer yeah. given that they only saw there's only a browser request how do they do it so yeah it's crazy so um team viewer happens to install certain fonts when you install the program and then you can use a javascript api to check if a font is available 
And so if you know that TeamViewer is like one of the only programs, actually TeamViewer installs their own custom fonts, their own specific oh, fonts. Wow. So you can have a JavaScript API. See that, if you have this font downloaded on this machine. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And then you know they have TeamViewer. It's cr- kind of crazy. That is crazy. And given that TeamViewer is so often used for fraud, right. it's not its only use case, but it is often used for fraud. It's, it's funny a because, really creative. It's yeah. a really creative security check. Yeah. Like really creative. Yeah. It reminds you, like I remember someone, guy we used to work with at uh, Ted used to say like security is, uh, it's a spectrum. It's a continuum. There's no such thing as like secure and insecure. There's just not like yep. when you think about security, but when you learn about it, you usually do think about it as black and white. Did you lock the cu- the, the, the front door? Yeah, it's secure. You didn't lock it. It's not. Yep. But this is like, this is not actually a security leak, but it is a vector in a sense that it reveals more information than you would expect. Like, there's nothing private about what fonts you have, except for this case where it's like, actually it is because it's a good enough proxy for whether this piece of software is installed. What if there was some like adult, whatever that leak, the, the adult service where you find out people to have an affair with? What was that website or whatever? Ashley Madison. Yeah, Ashley Madison. What if they did something similar, right? You could you could see how like something like that would be Wait, what do you mean? What do you mean? I'm like, saying go, like go it, it's it's just it's just a great illustration of this point that security is a spectrum because like what if Ashley Madison installed a specific font? Oh. And like yeah. you have yeah, you you actually aren't leaking. It's not it's not um a security leak in the sense that it's a mistake. But if you have the Ashley Madison font family on your computer, that means you've been to the website, Ashley Madison or whatever, right? Yeah. And so it's like, it's just one of those cases where it's like uh, all unit tests, no integration tests. Like, <laughs> you there, know what I mean? There's been, th- this has been patched in the browser, but I remember, I don't know, 10 years ago, you could um, render a bunch of links and use CSS to to style visited links you know there's like a a pseudo selector yeah 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 visited yeah so you'd render purple links that are visited and blue links and then you could uh figure out if If they've been to there if the the screen had purple on it you know they've been to that website and you could build up a whole profile on someone based off what just render a bunch of like hidden links render a bunch of hidden links and like oh you've been to espn.com and because the pseudo the like the the visited Data wasn't accessible with JavaScript, but it was stylable with CSS. And then you could look at the color rendered in the browser by JavaScript. Exactly. And then exactly. now you're leaking their history. Yeah. So you can't do that anymore? No, they they patch this after people have shown this. But there's all So these, you can't style visited links? No, you can you, style visited links, but you can't, you can't read, like read the color their color or something. Yeah, something like that. There, there is yeah. a way that, that patches this. I'm not yeah. sure what the exact patch That's is. That's so interesting. There's so many... Um, I think even if you open up a a private browsing window on your computer, you can get fingerprinted and like they know it's you just based off. And like what websites you visited and stuff. Yeah, they just know they can give you like a tracking cookie, Mm. even though you're in a private browsing window. That cookie doesn't persist across sessions, but they can still give you like a cookie that identifies you. So even if you close the window and reopen it, they're just going to give you the same cookie. Oh, wow. And they can use a combination of like, fonts that are installed internet speed oh i uh, see the browser version you're using the screen resolution you're using the information in the request every yeah and accessible via javascript to say this is probably the same person yep exactly so every little bit of information just it just narrows narrows down. down that set of people and you can end up with just one 
just like oh the set of sam based off all these different that's interesting you know we were just talking about the bology uh, podcast um with lex friedman and he has a really interesting part of that talk where he's talking about uh how like our our names are both give away too much information and also not enough so like Ryan Toronto is not actually giving me enough information to there's other Ryan Toronto's or whatever. You can't like send me money. Yeah, exactly. I can't send you money with Ryan Toronto. Because there's a million. Whereas I could with like RyanToronto.eth, right? But it also gives me too much information because if I start Googling Ryan Toronto, I can find your address. I can find all sorts of stuff. Thanks for talking about this (laughs) on the podcast. (laughs) And so people can get like stalked or whatever. People that people care about, not like us, but like people can get stalked. And so he was talking about how our our primary names, whatever he called them, government issued names, and like our social security number gives us too much. But the pseudonyms, um, there's like different levels where they give just enough. And this reminded me of it because they were saying how basically you can, with enough of this information, you can basically do what you just said, which is like find out way more information than you'd want about someone you're you're able to find more information about them than they would want. Whereas when they have something that is like a actual pseudonym platform, like an E thing or whatever, you can't tie it back to Ryan Toronto or your social security number. So you don't know anything else. They literally couldn't find anything else about you um, that you didn't explicitly put on there, like how to send you money and how, and your e- how to send you email or whatever it is, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and, um, and which like, whatever network state you belong to or, or whatever it is right for the discussion but that's pretty interesting um man i was thinking listening to that podcast uh like if you ha- happen to just fall in love with cryptography and been like a professor or a student of it or like had it be a focus of your open source work and then all this stuff happened like 10 years ago man did you hit the freaking jackpot because it sure seems like it's more relevant than oh, ever yeah. and like cryptography has always been in, important um well there's way more jobs now there's just way just, just, there's just way more stuff there's just so much more right like you could basically like when i started learning programming like oh yeah cryptography is how um private public key encryption work okay i don't really have to know that i can just use github but like now, if you know how cryptography works, you have all these other things going on. It's just pretty fascinating. You yeah. know, I don't think someone would have been able to predict that necessarily. That no, like, I don't think, I don't think you so. know, but I also kind of feel the same way about us and the web. Yeah. Where when I started web programming, I just yep. thought it was cool. Yep. I didn't think it was going to blow This seems more extreme to me where it'd be like, <laughs> it'd be like, let's say you knew, you know, something just super nerdy that all of a sudden turned out to be like totally mainstream and that like tom brady cares about you know what i mean like if you're not anymore yeah right if you're a cryptography like person who can explain like encryption you know and like keys and stuff uh that's like you just you became the most interesting person at the party yeah you you probably still won't be able to hold a conversation but (laughs) (laughs) it's just it was just it just struck me you know listening to this guy talk anyways pretty cool stuff um cool man so yeah we we've we've been obviously doing a bunch of stuff we have six videos up on our frame or motion course on build ui and um probably going to end up with eight or nine before that that kind of series is done we get to move on to our next series um 
but there's a bunch of folks on build UI now who have, have watched the videos and like them and, uh, given us ideas for the next one. So I haven't like officially tweeted out about the whole course yet, I guess, but just been kind of talking about it here and there, but, uh, we think it'll feel good. You know, after the first course is done, we're starting to work on the second series. That's kind of when like my last email will go out about the framer motion course. For those of you maybe who have heard about the course, but haven't been listening, like I originally was going to make a course for framer motion. It was like a one-off thing. And we were eventually building towards a subscription site because we want to make lots of different series. And that's what we just jumped to. So right now there's about six videos on there. We just did parts one and two of a carousel, which is a pretty cool video. And, um, lots of good like basic react lessons takeaways from there as well and uh, we're gonna do resizable panel next and then like a calendar so that's what we've been working on the content side but uh today we want to talk about um the actual website and this kind of problem we ran into so we've been building out buildui.com as a next.js app with a hasura backend so it's pretty standard like setup um you know there's a front end and there's a database and it's a postgres database so um it's kind of a pretty standard setup. Why don't you just explain what Hasura is? Yeah, Hasura is is a GraphQL API on top of like a standard um, database, uh, a relational database. So if you've never used Hasura before, you know, we used to build like Ember apps on top of Rails backends. Now we build React frontends. And instead of building the Rails backend where you kind of write all this controller code that access and mutate your data, Hasura kind of automatically does it for you. So... It's kind of like just exposing your database via GraphQL API automatically, which is nice. And it's relationship aware. So we have users that have subscriptions and videos that belong to series. All of those things are like credible. You can create, read, update, delete them across a a pre-generated GraphQL API, which is nice because then we can just do our work from either get server-side props and next or from a client if we need to do work from the client. and we use Firebase to to sign people in, and we link the Firebase users to our, our users in our backend. Mm-hmm. Um, so we ran into this issue, which um, is actually has nothing to do with like this kind of front end back end architecture that we have been doing for several years now. This issue was that we're building this content site; it's a media site, and we have these videos now. We have six videos in our first series. We also have another series. Um, from EmberMap, our previous content site that we're uploading and going to make available to Build UI members. And so we have like, let's say, a dozen videos on there. And um, when we add a video and publish it, the way this works, uh, again, just like if you were like using a Rails app, you have like your development environment and your production environment. That's true for both the front end and the back end. And... Um, this is nice because when you are developing features, like we were working on our sign in, our sign up flow, we can have Stripe, which is another service we use running in test mode. We can have our dev version of our Hasura backend that has users that are like fake users. I can sign up as, you know, Sam Ford or something and just put in a fake email address and then go through the checkout flow and make sure everything works. And none of that affects production data. And that's like a best practice because you don't want your development environment to be like messing with production data. You want every developer to have their own kind of sandbox to play with. If they mess it up, they can blow the database away, recreate it, pull down like a version or even use seeds um, to like seed it with like test data. 
And so that's kind of like where our process is at right now. That's how Ember Map worked. That's how like every app that we've worked on basically works. So most, most, most dev yeah. tools work this way. You get yeah. a, a dev sandbox and then you deploy to production and every everything is different. Right. Uh, but right. it's all the same code. The code is the same. Just the, the code is the same is and the data storage is different. And um, one thing we realized uh, as I guess this kind of started because we were talking about um cmss since we've usually never used a cms service before oh this is there's a lot of this goes this start wait hold on this goes way way back there's a lot of pain a lot of pain i'm I've trying to remember with. what kicked this off and i thought part I, I, of it I can, was I, just i can, get, I can wanting to here. not rebuild some of those things that we like the admin stuff that we built in ember map no 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 is so, it static stuff no 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 it's it's so with ember map we had multiple rails environments development and production mm -hmm. and what would happen is we would spend a lot of time you know making sure the production site looked good so for every video that's posted we have a description we have you know there's videos with variable length they're actual real videos you know with a real video player hosted on amazon uh but in the dev environment like I was just working on dev features like oh make sure the video can play make sure we're tracking when the video ends and, and so on and so I just had a bunch of dummy videos there. I just yeah. had a bunch of test videos and it was so painful to work on because you load up your development environment and it's nice that you have your own sandbox to play in, but the sandbox isn't realistic. Yeah. Like none of the toys. In I'm the trying to remember the very first thing that led us to talk. Was it that? I well, thought no, there was so, something so else. So that, that was a huge pain point. Yeah. And so with Embermap, what I did is I wrote this thing and I think a lot of people, a lot of people end up writing their own thing that looks like this. Yeah. Where they go to production and basically download all the production data and then seed it into their dev environment, but seed it in a safe way. So if they like delete something, it doesn't then go like delete the file on S3 that right. their production dev server is looking at. Right, right, and right. And so that that's pretty painful. And uh, when we were working on build UI, we have this dev instance and then we have the production instance. And I was adding some Embermap videos to the dev instance as well as adding the frame or motion videos to the dev instance. Mm -hmm. uh, the dev instance has like auth behind it. So mm -hmm. like you can't view a video if you're not authenticated. Mm -hmm. um, when we first launched Build UI, the videos were just in HTML. Right. You could toggle CSS class to them. Can't anymore though. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we were adding these to the dev instance and then I kind of had this like, like flashback of oh no what happens when we go put from these ember on map prod? yeah what right. happens when we go put these on prod uh we're gonna have to like copy everything over and now our dev instance is just gonna drift from our prod instance yeah. and like are we just gonna keep these in sync is yeah. this gonna be like a huge pain because like think about like your publishing process you're gonna you're gonna make sure the video looks good before you like actually publish it right. so that means making it work in dev right getting all the data in, getting writing all the summaries and all that. And then you go to publish a video. Now you got to do the same thing again right. for Pride. You got to right. copy all that data over. Right. Huge pain in the ass. Right. Yep. And it reminded me uh, when I worked at TED-Ed, actually, which was a similar website. It's a content-driven you know, driven website, media website, um, that we had the same problem. And working on things locally, a lot of times you'd pull down, you'd pull the latest code, and you'd be working with 
videos from six months ago you know it's like a bunch like hundreds of videos on there but they were like old and sometimes there's features that interact with the content in a certain way like how old it is or whatever so you really want to pull the latest version kind of like you end up basically doing that which is a huge bummer because it just doesn't seem like so you have these two databases production and local and you want it separate for what the reason you were saying which you want to be able to go to town on it but what we realized through all this discussion and reflecting back on other apps we've worked on is that the content um, is really uh, not environment specific. If I'm working on a feature, like you said, I want to see the feature with what will be on the website. And um, that's going to be using the same content library. Yep. So the videos and the series are this environment independent set of data whereas the users and the subscriptions and the the teams and the credit cards are specific to the environment those should be independent and it was kind of like an aha moment but it was like man this would make things way nicer because um now i can go and create a new video in like this single source of of content the content layer and see it in production if I wanted to unpublish it, it's not published yet. I could preview it if I'm an admin. And uh, I could also do that locally. So I could create the same... Un- if I wanted to develop a feature against what it looks like to preview an unpublished video, then I could have an unpublished video, right? Like, let's just say it's in the queue for like a week or whatever. And I want to tweak something about... I can pull dev and do that. And it's going to be pulling the same thing. So that's pretty awesome. Um it's so it's so awesome. It also just removes surprises. Yeah, it and was a huge pain in the butt to work on this uh, on TED-Ed when the the database is just another thing. You all you you. It was nice to have the database, obviously, for user accounts, being able to run seeds, run tests. Say, log me in as an admin. Log me in as a lesson creator. Log me in as a viewer. All that you still want to do um, because I can seed a. Uh, subscriber to build UI and see what the site looks realistically from their perspective. But I can't see fake videos with like Lorm Ipsum and see what the site looks like with series that don't exist with artwork that's like generated that we've done that for Emmermap. We did that at TED Ed and um, it's never, it's just extra work to try to like, it's uncanny, in the same way. It's uncanny. It sounds yeah, good. Exactly. But when you view it. It just, it's not the app that you're working. It's on. not. It's you don't not trust it. You're not you building your a build UI for an arbitrary, like n different sets of content um, or a TED ed, uh, whereas you are doing that for um, the users. Like the, you should be able to run this app and have like n users. N users. Yep. But it's there's only one version of the content library that's going to be there, and the lay everything from the layout and the homepage and and uh, all sorts of things are going to be tied to sp- the specific content library that exists at a, at a given point in time. Mm-hmm. So it, it shouldn't be something that's, so yeah, it's kind of an interesting way to think about it. Whereas like these are just videos as a table in our database. And so is users, but they're actually two different things and one should be dependent on the environment and one shouldn't. And so we're talking about making basically like a CMS, our own CMS, which could be several things. It could be a service like a contentful or a sanity, or it could just be like another Hasura instance. I think we're probably going to use something like a, a sanity. And um, 
especially because we build most of the pages in our site, at least the ones that depend on on content at build time, uh, then uh, it kind of makes a lot of sense to use something like that because we're not even introducing like a a runtime dependency there to the site. Totally. So um, that was pretty exciting. Um, And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. That's, yeah. So that's so. Let's talk about like the architecture, I guess, a little bit. Um, so one of the nice things about when you have like a Rails database per environment is that it's really easy to control access in and out of that environment. So like, should I have access to this video? Well, the Rails app is going to check if you have access, and if you do, it's just going to read the video data out of the database. But now you kind of need. You can't just go to your CMS and say, hey, can I watch this video? Because like, if we're using like Sanity, it's they outside of our, they don't yeah, know they're what just, a subscription they're, they're is. They're CMS, yeah. Right. They're, they don't, yeah, exactly. They don't know what a, they don't know what build UI is. Right. They don't know what a subscription is. Most of these, most of these services have like an, a single API key that you use to make it so that you can crud. Read. Read yeah. or whatever. But from what I looked at when I was exploring this, it's like there's two API keys, one for writing, one okay. for reading. So you give your, your build time tool to read API key. or your server, right? You're doing yeah. the point yes. is you're doing it from a trusted source. Yes, exactly. It's a trusted server. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so we, our, our, our browsers that are on our website can't just go pull data from the CMS, right? which is kind of a little tricky because like one of the things these CMSs advertise is just, it's so easy to query. Right. Um, and we also want, I think there were a few times where it's not just build time. We want like dynamic, fetching and auth so like if you're actually getting a video file right we want that stored we want some reference to that in the cms right and we want to make sure not just anyone can get it right so the way the way our pages work is like the thumbnail and the description and the title um are public and that constitutes like most of the page that's why we chose to build time because it's the same whether you logged in or not if you're not logged in, you see like an overlay that says join now um, to access this video. If you are logged in, you don't see the overlay. You get the summary and we fetch the video on the client so that, again, like you can see that page immediately. And then before you even click the play button, we've gone ahead and fetched the video. But that uses the token, like the session, the user session from the client. And so the question now is how to use that to fetch to make sure that you can only get the iframe of the actual thing if you're logged in if you're like if you actually yeah, have if you a have subs- a subscription yeah if you yeah. actually have a subscription yeah. and so like there's a few ways um but like they all kind of like boil down to like you need some sort of proxy that sits between your the browser that's making the request and the cms and so the proxy it goes to the pro- the browser says hey i want this video it goes through the proxy. The proxy checks and says, okay, let me look it up. Let me make sure you have a subscription. If you do, okay, I'm going to go fetch that data from the CMS for you and give it back to you. If you don't, you respond with 403, 401, whatever. The, right. You don't have access to this. But then that that kind of creates a new new problem is, is how do you build this proxy? Like, mm-hmm. What is this? Is this its own little app? I think what, what we landed on was... Uh, next api route yeah something super simple that's just which is nice auth check right and then go off yeah gonna have to deal with that cold start right so one of the problems that we've run into many times with build ui is like the api routes that are built into next.js are really nice for doing things like um you know 
pinging Stripe, um, b- building a, an endpoint that can be used as a webhook. So when you go to Stripe to check out, you send the email that you used and a subscription back to our system. We have a webhook waiting to listen to that. That's right in our next app. It's all one app, which is really nice as opposed to kind of how we did it, you know, in the past where you'd have a backend and front and separate repos, separate deploys. It's a beautiful thing about next. But we're deploying to Vercel, which we like a lot of the features in Vercel, but the API endpoints have a cold start because the they use serverless functions to deploy them. Um, the edge stuff is supposed to help with that, but that's kind of experimental. So we've run into issues with that. We're just using the kind of standard thing. But it does sometimes cause an issue. So um, building the build time public stuff is going to be great, I guess, because it doesn't matter if it cold starts during a build. Like it's just you're just doing that and to that build the pages. Through, that it won't even go through the API. The, yeah, the won't build, process yeah, the build, build process. Yeah, build process directly with CMS. Right. And, um, but fetching the video at runtime uh, or anything else at runtime does need to do that. I think we have some redirects that are using Edge. Yeah, we have a few things. A few things. Um, but this is the area where it's kind of usually the CMS have like an SDK that you import. might be node dependent, and so you might not be able to use Edge for that stuff. So we'll have to see. Um, but, um, yeah, the, the, that is the most convenient. Dropping an API endpoint in to act as a proxy to these things is like super convenient. Yeah. The yeah, other think, idea would be to have a separate service that's long running deployed somewhere that we go through, but then it's like you have to coordinate. Now you're, you're responsible for deploying a new service, another yeah. app. So yeah, yeah, and they would have to have access to like our Hasura service users, and, and users yeah. to make sure that the users logged in. So that feels like a step too far. Yeah. Um, the API route definitely is the easiest. One thing I looked for and. I don't think this exists. And if anyone knows of anything that does this, I'd, I'd love to hear. But uh, this idea that your your users or browser can talk directly to the um, the CMS service and they'll send over JWT and that JWT will have like custom claims in it. Oh, wow. Say like, oh, I have access to all the videos. So let me query any video. Hasura, Hasura has yep. this or auth process built in. They also have another process where there's a webhook. So when you talk to Hasura, right. before Hasura returns any data, it goes off to another webhook that you're running. Verify the network. header. Yeah. And, like and basically say, like, who is this person that's asking for this and can I send this to them? Right. Uh, and so that would be cool if, like, a CMS, a CMS service had that where you get a JWT and then you can go straight to the CMS basically. Yeah. They, from, the, from the browser. You can do, like, you can sign the JWT and the JWT can have custom claims. Right. And so, like, there's a bunch of, like, third, again, like, Hasura, Hasura, I think, does a great job at this, where they will validate the JWT that right. you send to them. Do they do that on every request? There's different rules. So, you can say that if uh, if I've validated this person before, don't validate them again for X amount of time. 15 minutes or yeah. something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's kind of tricky. Also, JWTs are, like, they're, like, short-lived, but they are you can't invalidate them or right. if you do build right. an invalidation system, you're almost like defeating un- purpose. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're yeah. undoing a lot of the, the purpose is that you wouldn't have to use like the it's, you have a token, you have a cook, you have a JWT token. That's good for 15 minutes unless you avoid checking ever having every request because it's yeah. the signature is right there right. in the payload. So. Right, right, right. Um, 
Yeah, it would be it would be cool as as we see these like as we use more and more services. Yeah. If uh, there were more options for integrating auth so that your users could talk directly right. to these services and pull the data they need. Right. Having a proxy though is pretty nice because it does let you, you know, it's like um, what do we always say? Like uh, BFF Flight controller. Yeah. Yeah. yeah air, BFF, traf- yep. air traffic controller yep. where it can kind of, you know, it's it has nice to, to know it's the only way to get to those services. Yeah. And through it, that. for build UI, it's not like generic. It's like, Okay, I need to go check. Is this does this user have a subscription? Are they on a team that has a subscription? Right. Okay. They're what video do they want? Oh, I know how to best get that video from the CMS. This is right. how the day. This is how we're organizing the data. Because like, if you think about it, these CMSs are are like document stores. They're not. They're not. Um, they don't know that we're putting videos in there. They don't know that like we might have like pointers over right. to Mux or Vimeo. Right. Right. And right. so having something that our own little middle layer that can kind of glue all this together. Um, I think is a nice thing. And it's also just like one entry point. Yeah. So we can, you know, swap stuff in and out of there. Yeah. It's nice to be able to look under API and see our Stripe webhook and, you know, yep. eventually video processing or whatever it is, you know. It is funny that if you aren't using an API route, this somehow gets like way more scary and more expensive from not like in dollars, but in terms of complexity. States just just you now have another app you're running that you're deploying if you're not using an api yeah. route if you're and you're also not talking directly to the service you're saying if you had another app yeah if you had yeah another yeah app. oh yeah so yeah, like yeah. it's very easy to say oh just set up a proxy and then six months later find yourself in a world of like you have eight different microservices yeah which which is something we want to avoid yeah, because yeah, yeah. that we just don't we just yeah. don't need that so yeah so there are some way to go for right. sure but i think that's a detail is very easy to gloss over like i think that's a detail here that like I if don't you think, were in a team you could see that recommendation getting like i don't by. even think this would be on the table if there weren't api routes right so right. um for us for us for oh us, it's 100 percent, 100 but it, yeah. that seems very minor no, yeah, it's, in terms it, of architecture, it, but it's right. actually, I'm, it I'm actually is like a microservice. It's the Stripe. There's a next. There's a node server running, waiting for requests about Stripe, listening to Stripe from our site, and that has to run separate from like our front end, which is just. But the fact that conceptually, not conceptually, literally, they're in the same code base makes that like reduces the cost down a ton they have the same the exact like the deployment overhead yeah exactly black box for both exactly deployed together they're yeah so no it makes it it makes it really nice for sure no i was i'm i've been really happy with the stripe stuff so far i mean it's awesome yeah stripe stuff's amazing it's amazing and it's like um we're using the hosted version and we enabled like a couple people asked for annual uh pricing we just like flip a switch i was amazed we didn't have to write any code for that that was incredible and uh, that just is added as an option on the checkout thing. So um, services are pretty dope, pretty cool. Hard to test still. That's another thing about this is yeah, that uh, you're more, you're more, you have like you're you're more in the services pool than I am. I think I'm a little. I think Stripe. I think Stripe deserves a ton of credit yeah. for what they built. I, I don't think that's easy to replicate. Yeah, they're like the best version of it. Yeah. I think that it's true. If you pull out the the videos into like a CMS, um, uh, my folks are are coming in 
for a visit for Thanksgiving. Nice. I'm excited. Get them on the pod. Yeah. If, uh, if you pull the videos out, it's true now, like you have a new, we're kind of making a new little service or it's just a separate, it's a separate service that the app is talking to that is not spun up and torn down with each environment. So if you think about writing a test, now the test, if it interacts with the video, the service has to be up for the test. But we're kind of already there because we use Stripe and we use Vimeo. So if you want to run, this is like, again, going back to the trade off yeah. of services. If you have like an app that literally just uses Rails Postgres and you're running it, then it's like the airplane test. You can just run it and you have like a sandbox, a new environment for your whole thing. But I, I just, but since we're already using Vimeo and Stripe, we're already kind of beyond that point in the sense of if you run our test suite, it's going to be hitting like Vimeo or like our test Stripe account. Right. And so now it will also be hitting the CMS, mm-hmm. which is going to be whatever, like our sanity thing. But that so that is a trade off in the sense that we can't test it. We can't say given a CMS with one video, what does it look like? Given a CMS with an unpublished video, what does it look like? But I, th- I think you're making too many excuses for the other services because Stripe nails this story. Stripe, you can Stripe has an awesome testing story yeah. and you can you can disconnect your internet and you can test Stripe, which is, it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And it's, and so I think that, well, you couldn't test like the webhook stuff. Could you? Yeah. It with you the emulator run, thing. Yeah, you can run Stripe. You can run Stripe. Yeah. It's, and also too, they can just, they have a, also a webhook testing tool that says, okay, uh, pretend a user just signed up as that's a subscription right. and just hit my webhook. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so they, No, but that's what I'm saying. What I'm what I'm saying is that there's a cost to like for us moving to a CMS for the content. For sure. Which is this, which is that we we basically can't test it anymore because you can't say show me what the website looks like with an unpublished video unless we like create an unpublished video on the cms which which i don't think we're gonna do not gonna have it there forever right um you could imagine us doing what what like yeah yeah just not gonna do that you know maybe yeah maybe you get to a point where you um that's just the sprinkler system outside (laughs) it's not no biological things happening in the room. Uh, no, maybe you get to a point where you actually do want, in the same way we have like a test Stripe account, um, we want like a test CMS account with like one published video, you know, one series that's like incomplete or whatever. I mean, probably not. Again, this this is like, but this I'm just explaining yeah. trade-offs is that like, if you wanted to write a test that says, uh, I want to view what the site looks like, given I have, two series one with five published videos the other one has two published and one unpublished but then you're back to this world where you're like making a dynamic site that is able to work with like any configuration of media whereas the whole reason we're extracting a cms in the first place is because we want it to work with a single set of media which is the videos that are in our library so um i think uh i think that's going to be a better trade-off it's just that you have to acknowledge, like, if you're going to interact with these things during tests, you're going to be interacting with, like, the single live version yeah. um, that's yeah. hosted, you know, which has been fine so far for, I mean, the Stripe stuff. Do we run the Stripe stuff locally during tests or do we hit uh, the test account that's hosted? 
No, we, we, we hit the we, test account. That's we, I have a bunch of different tests. Some of them hit the test some account that's hosted, locally, which is some, fine. Yeah, yeah. Some of the test yep. um, and when we run we also MBM run, run dev, we are pointing to the hosted test version yes, of our account, correct, which is fine. Correct. Which in the past we wouldn't have wanted. We would have preferred to have things that run without needing an internet connection, but it's a trade-off and it's totally fine. We always have an internet totally, connection. Totally, so Totally. Yeah. Um, totally. Yeah. Cool. Sweet. So yeah, I would love to hear also if anyone has experience with this, if they've run into situations where like some partition of their database has data that's really not environment dependent. That's like media that should be the same for every environment. And you find yourselves copying because if you think, if I think back again to like the Ted Ed stuff, I wouldn't have copied it down just to get the users that were in production. I was only copying it down to get the content. The data, yeah. In fact, I didn't want the users that were in production. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to seed users myself to have representative different groups, you know, individuals, educators, teams, which is what we would want to do. Right. So if you didn't happen to have a team on Build UI, but we supported teams, if you were writing your tests or building locally or developing the team dashboard, you would want a team, right? So you would see that yourself. You want control over that, but you still want the media library to be the same. So I'd be curious if anyone else has run into this. I'm sure people who are familiar with this problem, if they've been working on like media sites like this, it's, it's more for things that are public, right? The videos are the same for everybody. If you're working on accounting software, it doesn't matter. It's all environment specific. Um, pretty much right? right um so that's that's pretty interesting i like what you said we're building a website for the build ui video library so it has to feature the build ui yeah. we're not building a website for an arbitrary video yes library, and that tool would look completely different. exactly that completely would exactly different. and that way you that that one you would want it to be separate um yep that's that's 100 percent right cool all right i think that's a good place to wrap it it's tuesday november 22nd so um Let's probably get this out sometime in the next week, but uh, it's Thanksgiving here, so... Um, yeah, have a good Thanksgiving. Have a good Thanksgiving if you're all about turkeys and that sort of thing. Um, if not, I'm sure it'll still be a nice week to enjoy. But um, yeah, let's. Uh, we got a lot more stuff kind of in the backlog to talk about, so uh, maybe we'll see you guys again next week. Yeah. All right, thanks a lot. Bye. Bye.